0: Thank you for stopping by the Inside Deschutes County podcast. We hope you click those subscribe and download buttons. Be sure to catch us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on deschutes.org slash podcast. Deschutes County is an amazing place to live. Use work and a Great place to raise a family.
1: I love the weather and the high desert.
0: At Deschutes County, we provide excellent service. Beautiful We're here to help you.
1: Deschutes County is
0: the heart of Oregon. Everyone wants to be here. This is episode 10 of the Inside Deschutes County podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Eric Breon. This is a place where you can get caught up on everything that's going on in the county, lots going on. We have two very special guests with us today from Deschutes County Health Services. Emily Horton is the program manager for emergency preparedness and COVID recovery. And Dr. Richard Fawcett is the health officer for Deschutes County. Thank you so much for stopping by and answering some important questions.
1: Thanks, Eric. Glad to be here.
0: Thanks for inviting me. Well, we're headed into that season, right? It's.
1: Yeah. Respiratory illness season. Six season. Uh.
0: Yeah. You probably know all too much about that, right? You got, you got kids at home. I
1: do. They're getting kind of big, but yeah, already passing around some coughs, sniffles, sneezes, all those things back
0: to school. All that stuff. Yeah. All that stuff. Well, health services just put out some important information about this, right? I mean, some, what would you call it? Respiratory guidance? Is that, is that kind of where you would go with that? I mean, it, it's it kind of all-encompassing, right? I mean, it's the, the COVID, RSV, the flu. So, Dr. Fawcett, I'm going to start with you. Can you kind of walk us through the concerns and why people should be paying attention to these things? Because a lot of times it just kind of they hear it and it goes in one ear and out the other. Sure. But w- but why why should they be paying attention now?
2: Right. Well, you know, um, especially with infectious diseases, I think a lot of things tend to be seasonal, and I think we're probably most familiar with influenza, or at least the flu season. We might call mm-hmm. it that. I think we've maybe just spontaneously, I suppose, changed that to the respiratory viral season because. Um, you know, we, we do see other viral infections be seasonal kind of during the fall, winter months, uh, like RSV, for instance. And, you know, I think we expect that probably COVID-19, uh, you know, some of the sub-variants are going to be a little bit more um, common um, during the colder months. People will be inside, you know, uh, the chance for transmission might be higher. So, um, you know, it's a little bit different um, during the winter months in terms of the, circulation of, of these respiratory viruses, they're, they're going to be more prevalent and the risk I think will be higher um, in the winter months versus the summer. So that's why I think it's a good time to be thinking about how to prevent them now. For
0: people who aren't paying as much attention to COVID and the subvariants, what's the latest on that? There's There's one that's kind of making the rounds that I've heard of what's, what's, what can you tell people in regards to that?
2: I I think it's hard to keep up on, to be honest. I, you know, I, I think maybe a starting point was, you know, we, uh, had Omicron, uh, sort of disseminate around the world very quickly. So, um, you know, last year, um, a lot of the infections we had here in central Oregon were the Omicron variant, I think in the beginning of BA4, BA5. Um, but since that time, it's, it's, uh, changed a lot. Uh, there's a lot to keep up on all the different names, etc. Um, but I, I would just say that you know our our bivalent boosters that really did target some of the earlier s- subvariants of Omicron just are probably not as effective anymore because uh, the ones that are circulating that tend to be different. The new one's going to be against uh, XBB 1.5, and there's other subvariants that are circulating as well that people talk about, but. Um, We don't always keep track of exactly which subvariant you're infected with, but uh, uh, just know it's going to be mainly
0: Omicron. So, Emily, there's a new vaccine or booster, right, that's coming out or is out. What's the the latest on that as as of this recording?
1: Yeah, so there is a newly approved um, vaccine for COVID. It's actually not considered a booster. Oh, that's Um, interesting. Yeah, so it is a new... you know, make up and a new strain for these new XBB um, variants. So um, people are recommended to get that as soon as possible, but it's going to be kind of a new and different way of that being rolled out because instead of being provided by the government, kind of free for ch- from charge from everyone, um, it's changed to – um, in the commercial market, so it's kind of switched up how people get it and how re- insurance has to reimburse, and it's kind of complicated a little bit of things. But people should have it available, um, you know, in the next couple weeks locally.
0: So, uh, lots of changes then for the for health services. Then in regards to how you're helping people with this is. Uh, are you doing the same kind of clinics? Are you doing, what, what's the what's the effort there?
1: Yeah, so this year is going to be very different for us. Like, I think last year in this September, October, November range, we had some 80 clinics and gave thousands and thousands of doses. Yeah. 80? 80, 80, 80 clinics. Eight, that's
0: zero. A, that's a lot.
1: Yeah. That's a lot. Um This year we just don't have the availability and our focus has really shifted. So our messaging through OHA and our partners is to kind of, we are the safety net. So we are working with people that are at increased risk of getting it and having severe consequences like in long-term care facilities, uh, places where it's difficult to get people that are uninsured. So really focusing on what's called the Bridge Access Program and how we can target people that wouldn't be able to get the, the vaccine other ways. Um, And then helping people access vaccine through their providers, through pharmacies, if they're having trouble doing that, but they have insurance and other mechanisms of getting to the vaccine.
0: For both of you, how frustrating is it to manage all of this? Because it just seems like it changes every month. I mean, there's, there's new guidance, there's a new variant, there's, you know, the 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 politics of it all and you, how do you navigate that in terms of what it is that you're going to do for people because I would think that would be so tricky when you're sitting in meetings and you're trying to decide what the heck we're going to do based on all these outside forces how do you navigate that?
1: So I would say, I mean, it is difficult. Some of it is not within our control, like how much vaccine we get from the state. Like that's something, you know, we can put in a request for 10,000 doses and we're probably not going to get that much. So even if we wanted to go out and kind of have those mass type clinics like we had in previous years, we just don't have the resources from the vaccine side in the state. Um, I would say the frustration for me is hearing – you know, on the news and from the federal government and all these places. um, The vaccine is commercialized and you shouldn't have any trouble finding it or getting it. And knowing that that doesn't always play out and there's always going to be bumps in the road when we have these kind of shifts. Like this is a huge shift, right? It's like a blank check and all of this vaccine. And now we're moving to a different system And you know there's going to be hiccups, there's going to be difficulties, Mm -hmm. and insurance paying you back all, you know, where to get it, how much to get, you know, providers are trying to navigate this all too. And everybody's doing the best that they can, but sometimes it takes patience um, from, you know, our population to say, you know, maybe I can't get it this week, but I think I can next week. Um, But that's really frustrating because, you know, you wish that you could jump in and you can see that these problems are coming down and, you know, people are wanting to do the best. Like they hear the messaging, get your vaccine. And they're like, yes, I want to get it. But then their access isn't as always as easy as we we hope it would be. We don't get to
2: make the rules, I guess, in terms of how this plays out. You don't. Come on. You know, uh, and maybe that's a good thing. I don't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm here with uh, Dr. Richard Fawcett and Emily Horton from Deschutes County Health Services. I want to ask this question. Uh, RSV seemed to come out of nowhere a little bit last year, at least in terms of me as a casual observer. Uh, how concerned are you about RSV and and it com- kind of coming in and sweeping through or, or becoming as... A, a bigger concern, maybe not as COVID, but something that would have a, a fairly large impact on our community?
2: Well, I, I think it, it will be important. You know, I, I, we, we did see um, a, a much higher incidence in RSV infections in adults um, last year. And, you know, a lot of adults have some immunity. I mean, a lot of us do um, uh, from prior years or even farther back, um, I I think, you know, the idea that we we sort of talk about is that um, there was just more circulating, I think, uh, in general, and probably a lot of that was with, you know, amongst uh, the pediatric population, kids in schools, that sort of thing. And for such a long time, you know, I think we were wearing masks and uh, probably avoiding uh, some transmission there of things like influenza, peri RSV. So. It just was more circulating, and not all of us, uh, at least adults, um, uh, did terrifically with that. Some people who have, you know, more uh, fragility uh, uh, in terms of maybe their immune system or other health conditions were probably more susceptible. So I think it's really going to be hard to predict what's going to happen this year, but I I think there's a good chance it'll it'll be fairly active.
0: And, And the flu... We, yeah, can't, I, we can't even forget about that. I mean, that was... No,
2: and that's that's always going to be something we're going to have to grapple mm-hmm. with. It's unlikely that we'll have, you know, a very, uh, you know, um, uh, subtle or, you know, mild flu season. We might, but mm-hmm. I think it's unlikely. I think the time that was probably the the least uh, of a concern was where we, we all wore masks a couple of years ago. So, but uh, aside from doing that, we're going to see some influenza for sure this season.
0: So what's the biggest threat then? Is Is the biggest threat one of these three things, or is it ambivalence? People just not, you know, just kind of, uh, they're so maybe tired, weary, wary of all these different things, and not paying as much attention. What What do you think is the biggest threat?
2: Well, I, I think they're connected. I think, you know, if we're ambivalent, and, you know, we just are tired of worrying about it, then Uh, we're we're gonna have a higher chance of of getting infected with one of these viruses. And so, um, you know, we we just wanna really minimize the risk. I think that's what we think about a lot in public health or even as a clinician, we think about that as well, preventative care. And, you know, uh, besides I think just, you know, having good manners and covering your cough and um, thinking twice about going into extremely crowded place. um, uh, I think vaccine is uh, a good way to try to prevent some of these infections that we know we're gonna see.
1: Yeah, I would just add, you know, we have tools, which like the RSV vaccine, that's new. Um, There's a new monoclonal antibody for RSV for young, young babies. Um, We have treatments for COVID, we have COVID vaccine, we have the flu vaccine, we have lots of tools. um, And some of them are newer, right? So we have ways to combat these extreme outcomes. and, And hopefully people have an awareness of those things. I mean, I think it's, it's a balance, right? Like, its we don't want people to be ambivalent, but we want them to make smart choices and minimize their risks in ways that make sense based on their risk factors, and I think that's something that we can all do. We can take into account and understand, you know, ways we can help protect ourselves and our community, too. So stay home when you're sick. Do those kind of things. It, it really can make a big difference.
0: What is the in May, it was the end of emergency declaration, right? And with that, I'm sure, came some changes in regards to maybe funding, staffing. How do you navigate those things? Because it's still important, and maybe you've wrapped in RSV, and obviously the flu is still ongoing. How do you you navigate those outside forces to still give the level of care or or services to our community, even though those might fluctuate month to month, week to week, for all I know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think public health is always kind of in a unique circumstance. Um, you know, we see ebbs and flows in our funding that can be difficult to kind of handle. Uh, I feel like we're lucky right now, and we have a pretty strong um, preparedness team and a team of people that are re- ready and willing to go. Um, I also we have our new Medical Reserve Corps, which is a really exciting opportunity for our community. And a lot of the people that helped with vaccination on a volunteer basis are switching over um, and we're able to use them in different ways within health services um, and emergency preparedness. So it's an exciting time in some ways. Um, It's really hard, though, in other ways when you can see that kind of, you know, it's the same as you say people are exhausted by like wearing a mask or doing all of these preventative things that we ask for so long during COVID, um, you know, that kind of bleeds over into funding and other kind of exhaustions that happen. Um, So there's no easy answer, I guess I would say, but...
0: Oh, why not? (laughs) Why can't there be easy answers?
1: Snap our fingers. That's right. right. That's right. Just like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, you talked about the public being exhausted. I mean, the two of you must be exhausted as well just navigating all these things how do how do you deal with it on a personal level to I mean this has been your career in terms of navigating infectious disease and those kinds of things and now we've since you know 2020 we've been dealing with you know this big massive threat are you tired dr fawcett
2: well I, I I'm older you know <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all I, but you know I'm tired. Um, here and there, of course, you know um, but I think you know we, we also um, uh, you know we, we, we get uh, times of um, increased energy with motivation. I think we have really good team working, I think at our health department. I also want to add that I think we, we have pretty good partnerships in this area with, with our, our clinics, our, our hospital, uh, St. Charles and all their hospitals in the area. Um, and I think that helps a lot as well that um you know we um we're going to see changes in recommendations we're going to see changes in the subvariants that circulate um but i think at the same time uh we're all kind of in this together and i think when we're looking at you know where can we get a uh, rapid covid-19 test um you know what pharmacies might be carrying the new updated covid-19 vaccine uh, what pharmacies are going Paxlovid and therapies for covid-19 um, you know, what clinics need more information about, um, what to look for, for RSV, how to test for that or what, what what have you, or what's the prevalence did you have a lot of influenza this week? We have that communication, I think, with a lot of our clinics in, in our hospital. Um, not always, but I think we, we do better probably with that than maybe a lot of other locations, um, throughout the country. So, so that, that helps a lot that we're all kind of in this together.
0: Yeah, talk a little bit about your relationships with people because it's there's the medical front of it, there's also the information side of it, and then the you know kind of the treatment. I'm sure you're working with you know people like you mentioned Saint Charles, obviously. I'm sure Mosaic is a big partner, and then you have the the added, I guess, pressure stress of people who uh, might not have access to service or. Or access to language or, you know, things like that. How do you navigate all those things and how do they help you get that information out? Yeah, I know that's a big question. No,
1: that's a kind of a confusing long question, but um, I think I know where you're I, going I, with I'm it. known
0: for confusing long questions. Okay, okay. got it. Well, me too. So I wrote it down here, so I wrote <laughs> <Yeah. out. laughs> Take notes.
1: Um So, yeah, I mean, that is our real, we're kind of shifting focus from that large general population intervention kind of lens to being that safety net and really reaching those people, um, you know, our houseless community, people that are underinsured, uninsured, connecting them with services. We're still really lucky in with, you know, that question you had about funding, we have Quite a few people on our team who are still able to do that really engagement and um, equity work. So, you know, making sure that we understand not just to reach out to say we're doing it, but do people have the services they need and the ways to protect themselves and the information that they need to make informed choices? So we really are, you know, working on language translation, working on, you know, getting out there in the community and working with our partners that are out there even more than us doing the hard work um, and kind of leveraging those relationships where we can to, you know, reach, reach people who are in those pockets that are, you know, not going to watch the news or they don't hear us on a podcast or, you know, they don't have a computer and they can't look up where those vaccine clinics are. So really trying to do that targeted work um, and try to really be that safety net for folks.
0: Well, it is a long and confusing question because it's a, a long and confusing way to address those things because I, w- I would just imagine that they're so intertwined that you're, you're trying to unravel all these different scenarios of, of things that you mentioned, the houseless community, language access, all, you know, just insurance, all all of those things. And it could probably be overwhelming. So if you didn't have the help from community partners or other health organizations in our community, I imagine that would be overwhelming and can't do it, right?
1: Totally. And even within our own team, and we have discussions, you know, how are we going to take the limited resources that we have and you know kind of intertwine those with the resources in our community and who really are those people you know how do we find them and how do we reach them
0: so what's the focus now i mean wh- what should people be doing now because i imagine it's twofold one it's probably talk to your doctor make sure that you have you know all your information for your own personal well-being, but I, I imagine there's some responsibility that you would hope people would take about getting information as well. So what's the, what's the focus for maybe both of you in terms of your teams as to how do we get that out and how to, what do we want people to really know and understand?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't help but have my emergency preparedness hat on, right? So that's make a plan, make a plan, make a plan. Um, Think about, you know, ways you can protect yourself, assuming that you will get sick or be exposed, right? Like we're all probably going to be exposed to COVID, RSV, or the flu at some point, right? Like this winter, we know most people aren't staying home. You're going to go to the grocery store. You have kids in school. You, you know, go to church. You go to these different places, and you're exposed in different ways. So kind of assuming that you probably will be exposed you know, how do you lower your risk and how do you look around yourself and kind of assess that risk in a way that makes sense based on your risk factors? Um, And then make a plan in case you do get sick. What are you going to do with your kids? Do you have a plan for work? Um, Do you have medications at home? Do you know how to access you know, Paxlovid if it's COVID and, you know, you're in a risk factor or, or, you know, high risk group. Um, Kind of think through those things in a way that, you know, do you have chicken noodle soup in a can at home that you'll want to eat when you get sick so you don't have to get up and try to make it, you know, like simple simple things things you can do um, that really will make it easier. Assuming I probably will get sick this winter. How am I going to make this easier? You know, Making sure I do get the vaccine that will lower my risk of having to go into the hospital and have some of those severe outcomes that, you know, people still have. It's not like it doesn't happen.
0: And, and Dr. Fawcett, you would recommend people get this vaccine? Yeah,
2: I, I think so. I mean, you know, uh, we're, we're always going to think of ways that, that uh, people can access to lower their risk for, for getting, you know, contagious infections. Um uh, or really for lowering your risk for any kind of injury or or, or disease, um, so so vaccines are, are very helpful. And you know, not only uh, is it important in terms of you know minimizing your risk for, for you know being hospitalized or even death or you know long term uh, effects of, of some of uh, either pneumonia or some other some other complication from either COVID nineteen or influenza et cetera. But I think also in just limiting or, or reduce you know vastly reducing the chance that you're going to transmit you know these viruses to other people um, unintentionally unknowingly perhaps um, it's just we, we want to reduce the transmission in our community so uh, you know a vaccines a great way to do that and we don't expect people to necessarily wear a mask or you know n- not go to work because they're afraid of getting infected or not go to church or whatever you know um, we want people to to be with their families, to be at work, and uh, to um, have you know a productive winter. Uh, but a, a great way to prevent this really is with a vaccine. It's not the only way, but it's really an excellent way.
0: Dr. fawcett Emily Horton, thank you so much for being here, answering some tough questions, but I think given getting some good information out there as well.
1: Yeah, thanks, yeah, Eric. It was thanks, great.
0: sir. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have questions about RSV, COVID. The vaccine, anything else, you can go to deschutes.org/slash/public-health. Just lots of good information on that site. The health services social media pages are also a good place to get updated information. There's a Facebook page, there's an Instagram page. You can get up to up to date information there. And if you have a question about this podcast or ideas for future podcasts, you can email us at info@deschutes.org. That's info at Deschutes.org. And remember to subscribe to the Inside Deschutes County podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd really appreciate it. Drop us a review, a rating. We'd love to hear from you as well. Until next time, be safe out there.